Welcome to the Andrew D'Angelo podcast. Constant Constants. Each week, Andrew, renowned jazz saxophonist and brain cancer survivor, invites us to look at the many worlds of his guests with conversations that cover all the arts, human resilience, a little bit of politics, and a lot of humour. You can't fail to have a fantastic time. Let's see. Are you ready to illuminate? I'm, <laughs> um, I'm ready. Okay. So, hello, everybody. I'm here today with Danae Greenfield, who is a young but very accomplished composer and keyboardist. And uh, gosh, golly, we met when you were in college, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Right. But you grew up in Seattle or in the area, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, East Side, Bellevue, Bellevue area. Right. I didn't uh, start venturing out to Seattle till, yeah, till high school. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I was, you know, pretty sheltered, as as one could say. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, ended up ended up being able to, you know, explore and such in Seattle. Uh, you know, starting high school when I got my license. Whatnot. One of the things that. Um, I, when I was uh, just thinking on on you and talking to my nephew Storm, who I bring up pretty much every podcast. Storm is pretty much co-producing this podcast. Amazing. Yeah, he's like, you should get Danae on, man. That'd be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was talking to him and discovering how I met you because I knew you were from Seattle, but I don't think we knew you then, you know, but, and that's right. Storm met you in Boston. And, but anyway, when I, I was kind of just looking at your questions that your, that your fans asked you and some that I have on my own. And I was thinking you're kind of an empath, right? Would you call yourself an empath? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Um, uh, you're gonna actually you're gonna have to remind me what's a what an empath is i don't know well first of all empaths Sorry. no are just people who are sensitive to other people's energy they can pick up on things maybe mm. they can tell when somebody's lying or you know maybe uh some people use the word psychic but that word has kind of outgrown itself so now yeah yeah no definitely yeah. i i yeah now that i understand more um yeah totally i've i feel like i've always been someone who's been able to kind of sense when uh something you know some something's not right or something's slightly off and and yeah kind of you know yeah when someone's beating around the beating around the bush for uh you know in regards to the the truth or what's what they're really thinking um yeah uh, definitely right so and i, I uh, first of all, we're going to have great like duets of hand movements because I do that a lot too. <laughs> I'm always like, <laughs> um, the only reason I brought it up was when you said you had, you didn't really venture to, out to Seattle until, you know, high school or whatever. But, you know, empaths, it's difficult for us to be in crowded because I am one as well. And it's difficult for us to be in crowded places because we pick up on this, everybody's energy. It's, it's funny as performers i mean we play in front of thousands or hundreds of people depending right and but going to a concert for me is so stressful because of being around everybody's energy oh man yeah the, 
that don't even get me started about concerts. Hey, it's oh. your it's your interview. Go for it. Oh man, I mean, I mean, just as a, a general thing, actually, the one really nice thing about not going to any pretty much any concerts this year is that I haven't had to deal with <laughs> interact with anybody, <laughs> deal with people. What you know? I don't know. I I have some. I have some pet peeves when it comes to concerts, for sure. It's, I mean, I feel like there's only been a handful of times where I've actually gone to like a standing concert and like enjoyed myself like a hundred percent of the time. I mean, whether it's like me being claustrophobic, someone's getting too close to me, like, which is even crazy to talk about now, just like thinking about being in a room, like shoulder to shoulder with people is just, wow. Hasn't happened in a long time. I know. It, I, I know. And I, I think that your fans and people who, who are listening to my podcast would be surprised how many well-known famous musicians cannot stand to go to concerts themselves because they, they just don't enjoy the, that function of, of being. And then I was, I was, didn't uh, an interview yesterday, maybe it was the day before and with this with this woman and she was saying you know she was looking at old concert videos of herself trying to find something to post and she goes my god i never realized how packed in everybody was and she goes i don't know she goes i don't know if i'll ever feel good about doing that again i mean who knows i mean nobody's predicting the future here but she said the exact same thing that you just said yeah it's it's just really crazy i mean i don't know in Brooklyn, they feel like Brooklyn, Manhattan, they've kind of figured out some ways to, yeah, I don't know, some outdoor things. I mean, but I'm really, I mean, I, anyone that says New York is dead also is just, dead. Just, that's not right. That's, <laughs> they're that's, dead. That, they're, they're dead. It's, it's yeah. yeah, they're actually the dead ones. But uh, yeah, that, that whole thing is crazy. I mean, people, I mean, people are in venues are trying to do the best they can right now. And, you know, I mean, the few times I've gone to like any kind of outdoor thing I've you know I felt comfortable I haven't been shoulder to shoulder with anyone and you know I it it kind of you know relieves this kind of like oh man I want to see live music you know kind of stress like I haven't seen live music in you know months you know kind of uh you know I don't know anxiety i don't know i don't really know how to describe it but i you know i went to maybe two outdoor things um you know when it was still warm out and they were really nice but there is still that aspect of like wow like i really don't know when we're all gonna be shoulder to shoulder in a packed room again like right i don't i don't think till 2022 and like i, I mean honestly yeah. I don't know. I mean, everyone's different, but even if stuff is, you know, everything's back to normal come next summer-ish, who knows with the the vaccine or, you know, however that's going to go. I mean, I still don't think people will be like 100% comfortable with with going to like a packed show, especially indoor too. Maybe outdoor you'll get some more, uh, you know, more people wanting to do an outdoor thing, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it remains to be seen. I mean, we could talk about the pandemic, you know, until our, (laughs) our faces fall off, but you know, um, it's, you know, there's going to be that one person or persons who 
didn't get the vaccine who are at that show, right? right. Like that's the, right. it's like that, that person on the street, like why, why is that family not wearing masks? Like yep. it's not that big of a deal. And we're just all trying to help each other out. And there's, there's going to be those people. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's get into some fan questions for Danae. Um, this is one that uh, in my 35 year career as a professional musician, um, I have gotten this question numerous times. So I'm going to ask it first, because since you're much younger than me, I, I'd be curious to see if you've ever been asked this question. Okay. How did you decide to be a musician for a living? Okay. I mean, I feel like my answer is actually more standard than, than what you may think. However, um, I'll still give the short-ish version. Um, Go for it, please. But yeah, I mean, kind of long story, kind of short. I, you know, started playing piano when I was six years old and I started with kind of just standard piano lessons. Um, I guess more geared towards classical music. I don't know. Um, and then around fifth grade, um, I kind of started getting uh, an occasional jazz jazz song in my, you know, big, you know, somewhat beginner. At this point, I'm on like the Faber books, like level five or something. I'm nearing the end of these Faber book series. That this is I when you're six, eight? Would you... This is by fifth grade. Now I'm like 11, okay. uh, 10. Got it. Sorry, I missed that part. I just want to make sure that it's in there. All good. All good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now I'm like 10, 11. I'm kind of ending these like favorite book series that I actually use to teach now, which is a cool full circle um, kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I started getting the occasional jazz song in some of these, you know, favorite books. And I was like, oh, I really like these. And so in sixth grade, now I'm 12 or 12 uh or so and i decided to switch to jazz lessons only um and taking jazz lessons all through middle school um in high school i switched to another teacher who i still um you know communicate with oh cool time. very his, cool his name is michael stegner he's living in la now but he had a, a music studio called he has a music studio called creative music adventures um in uh Oh my gosh, what's it called? Free, not not Fremont, not Ballard. Uh, uh, was it on, Wallingford. Yeah, it was in Wallingford. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with Michael. I've never met yeah. him, but yeah, I think yeah, yeah. it was in uh, Ballard or Wallingford or something, right? Yes. Yep. Exactly. So I went there on like Wednesday nights. My dad drove me. <laughs> right. Oh. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, those were very inspiring. And then also, um, what really got me was this jazz workshop camp uh called centrum uh which i went to um it's it's in port townsend it happens every summer during normal times actually i don't know if they had it this year maybe they did not they they did not have it this year uh okay. oh, that's so wonderful cool. centrum is a wonderful wonderful experience for a lot of people who attend it so yeah, yeah. and i'm ha i'm gonna have uh carlos Senemo on and he oh, se nice. sets up his shop his saxophone repair shop at you know, instrument repair shop at Centrum nice. and gets to hang out with people and just sit at his table and, you know, chat with everybody. Oh, very cool. Um, very cool. Well, that's talking about Centrum. Um, sorry, but I, I interrupted you. Did you want to finish that? No, or? There's, there's, well, Centrum, yeah. Centrum's amazing, but well, I'm ending the longest now 
story, but Centrum <laughs> is kind of the kind of the place that really uh, solidified my passion for music. And at the time, I mean, I liked I liked some subjects in school, but nothing was really like standing out to me. Like, you know, I liked science. I liked my science classes. Um, I did not like math. My math classes. I mean, history. Eh, I mean. So at the time, this is now like I'm a sophomore, um, sophomore in high school, and I I was just like, yeah, this is amazing. I love playing. I love playing jazz, and this is what I want to do. And kind of it was nearing the time where I had to start kind of siding. <laughs> you know, college stuff was starting to come up, and I was like, well. I'm going to do this. <laughs> right. Well, beautiful. And that kind of ties into this question, which I don't believe you've seen because I think it came in after we, after we spoke. Um, are you ever going to play with Sawmill again? I, I would consider that indie music. Is that basically this uh, TMD? I don't know. That's their name on Instagram was asking would you call your music indie music or jazz or something else basically? And Sawmill, like that's an old band at this point, right? Yeah. Sawmill was like, Sawmill was the first band that I was in that wasn't jazz. And it was such an eye-opening experience for me. That was John Nankoff's band. And I was in that with Storm and Blake uh, and- Storm was in that band? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. yeah was- my nephew's all over this podcast man <laughs> i can't shake him it, it's it, it was meant to be <laughs> <laughs> but yeah sawmill was amazing i you know it was i'd say an indie like folk uh band that was i was like the old, storm and i were the only like berkeley students um in that in, yeah in that band everyone else was new england and New England Conservatory. But man, I still hear like some songs on the radio or random songs and I'm like, wow, that's really sounds like Sawmill. And I feel like, I hope that our like EP is still on the internet somewhere, maybe Bandcamp. Um, you know what we can do is I when, I, out what, when I publish, when I publish the video, let's give people a place to go, sure. you know, to find that uh, music from, from Sawmill or whatever. Sure. Even though my nephew's on it, I'm not. I didn't. I didn't remember that. But yeah, uh, no, totally. I wow, love that. synchronicities, man. That's yeah. crazy. Very cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. I guess I just wanted to say, yeah, Sawmill was my first like recording kind of experience, and first time someone told me to only play triads, and I was like, I was like, I don't what like triads like so. It's so boring. Like, I don't know, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, man, it's just a triad. I can't add a seventh. I can't add, you know, all my cool, like, voice, jazz voicings. And it really kind of uh, made me kind of take a step back and and just really sit on, you know, a, just one, three, like, three notes at a time, one note at a time, and really just kind of, yeah, it was very eye-opening. It was, I love that band. I still love that band. I, I, for me, it, it's a, it's when I've done those types of either pop or rock or indie, whatever you want to call it, you didn't really answer what you like to label your music as, but maybe oh, that's yeah. cool. Oh, but yeah, I was if you want to answer that for the person that asked, that would be nice. Yeah. My music personally um, has become some sort of a 
fusion, a jazz fusion, I would say. Fusion's super general, but I have two uh, main groups that I play my original music with. And one is an acoustic jazz like quartet, sometimes trio. Um, and then the other band is my like electronic uh, band, which is like, I don't know, electric bass, uh, you know, tenor sax with tons of pedals. And I have pedals. I play my synth and my Nord. Um, and I'd say that's some kind of a jazz fusion. There isn't really a good way to answer that for that quintet, but... Fair enough. That, yeah. that paints a perfect picture of, of where you're at with the labels. It's interesting because when I was started doing, as I was just about to say, pop or rock gigs or whatever yeah. back also when I was about your age, it's kind of liberating when they say you have to play in this tonality or, you know, like you said, triads only. And yeah. there's, uh, you know, Kurt Rosenwinkel, my friend, the guitarist, who's yes. also going to be on the show. You know, his thing is that people in general and, and all genres can rely too much on their gear, on their technique, and whether that technique is electronics or, yeah. you know, some keyboard sound that they overuse or they're not really playing, they're just halfway using the sound. Yeah. And we were on tour. Uh, Kurt and I were on tour and they lost his pedal board, the airline. And uh, I said, all right, Rosenwinkel. Let's see you make the gig without all your fucking pedals, man. <laughs> and he got, uh, I think I told this on, on another podcast, so I don't know if I might have to edit this out, but he got a delay and a distortion pedal from one of his students came to the show. Mm -hmm. But that's it. He was naked and he sounded amazing. I mean, Kurt's oh, just awesome. otherworldly on that guitar. But he, I, have to, I gave him shit. I said, all right, you don't have all your toys. Let's see you live up to... Uh, and he did it. So how do you feel yeah. about gear? I mean, I, yeah, it's interesting. Like I didn't even start to get into pedals until maybe the last year or two, I'd say two years or so. Um, you know, started off with like, honestly, I started off with pedal that was probably way over my head. I'm like still trying to figure it out. It's, it's a Strymon Mobius and it has like, just like so many different, you know, I don't know, like, chorus flanger uh, uh like vibe like a vibe kind of function um just a lot of different stuff i should have started off with something more simple but to answer your question i i feel that pedals have inspired me because well one my my quintet music some of my pedal sounds have inspired like some of my compositions or like the way I write music, which is cool. But I feel like the even cooler part of that is that what you were saying about kind of being, um, I don't know about the simple chords and stuff. I think the cool thing about pedals is that I can play like one note on my, on the piano or keyboard and, you know, really use the pedal to drive that one note or you know you know what you know two notes three notes whatever but you know a pedal can turn like a one note into like this crazy like atmosphere or soundscape and I think that's really really cool and I you know it, it enables me to still be able to play simple um and then kind of do a lot of experimentation and just you know self-discovery I guess self-sound discovery 
yeah and I, I'm still learning a lot about you know the pedals and stuff but it's been it's been a really cool creative um kind of little project for me um I love the Mobius pedal it's a great pedal yeah yeah. Um, Danae Greenfield supports <laughs> Mobius pedals. Yeah, and I am I am endorsed by Earthquaker Earthquaker devices, uh, which is a cool thing. I get a little discount off their pedals, and they have some crazy stuff too. They have the Space Spiral, the uh, Earthquaker Space Earthquaker Space Spiral. Yeah, and it kind of just goes like this with the with the notes. It's a and crazy stuff. Um, I use that one. Um, do you, do you have a website or something to tell people to go send them? Um, I would say it's linked on my Instagram bio, but I can send it, you know, we can, you know, I can link it, um, as well. Um, you should definitely give a shout out to the folks at earthquake that, that, that would be great. Yeah. Shout out, shout out earthquaker. Um, so, so I guess just to pursue, because <laughs> this is the kind of thing that interests me, and we'll get to more questions in a minute. Um, the so when you were talking about using whatever pedal or whatever keyboard sound yeah. and being able to play one note and use the sound to generate interesting effects or tones or engaging, there's there's something that I wanted to ask you that's off script, but it's, it's something I I'm really curious specifically in you. And I've, I asked, uh, Reed Anderson, this question, the bass player for the bad plus, and is there, I mean, you're on your videos are getting 10 K sometimes 17, 20 K views. Is there in your life? And now you're on a Grammy nominated record, which we'll talk about in a sec, but is there, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the law of attraction. Do you know this whole, the secret? And are you familiar? Kind of. Yeah. Well, basically it's just what it's, it, it insinuates, theorizes is that your intention is your, creates your manifestation. Hmm. So I, I was wondering how intentional your willingness to accept people enjoying what you're doing your creations or is it just willy-nilly you're kind of taking a video of a puppy and a baby and it goes <laughs> and it goes viral or you know you're making this video and you just are having a good old time you drop it and people seventeen thousand people watch it anyway yeah i yeah that's an interesting interesting uh interesting thing to talk about i i mean part of me is it doesn't really feel like I'm doing anything, you know, in, I mean, I would say, I mean, I would say all the videos and the stuff I post is still like stuff that I want to post. And I know, you know, there's, there's an audience and I'm, you know, super grateful for, you know, people watching my videos and doing all that, but it still feels like I'm, I'm just, I'm just posting I post my videos because there's something in there that I I was inspired by or was, uh, you know, I don't know, found creative and I just wanted to do, you know, a little short thing. And I don't know, I, I'd say my, I'd say my Instagram videos are, are, you know, it's weird. Like, I, yes, I'm thinking of my audience, but I'm also like, mostly I'd say I'm thinking 
thinking. I'm trying to just focus on myself as well. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I, I'm like, I'm like, you're not that self-centered. Come on, Danae. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know. I know. Now, now when I said it, I'm like, oh, wow, that was really that's why it's great it's pre-recorded i can always take out the gaff i can always take out a gaff it's not a yeah. big deal but i guess what i'm like here's here's my my approach to answering that question if i was yeah. if i was asked it imagine some a young woman or a young man who's curious why do people love danae so much and her music how can i you know does she buy you know because you can buy you know, likes on Instagram and Facebook. And I don't think not on Twitter, but, uh, yeah. you know, and so maybe people are interested, but it sounds like you're just kind of just being yourself and have yeah, the same yeah. doubts that we all have, you know, is that fair? Or do you want to yeah. summer? Do you, you summarize it if you want? I don't want to summarize it for you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the, imagine, yeah, that, that imagine there's sense. another you watching you talk about this. What would you tell them? <laughs> Uh, I would say, I would say that, um, I think people, you know, I, I tried to kind of emit a, you know, a positive, uh, energy, you know, with my videos, I, I try to play from the heart. I, I'm, I'm kind of just doing my thing and I, I, I feel like, you know, people gravitate towards, towards that. I don't know if it's because my room looks cool in 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 brooklyn or like or whatnot but um i i i don't know i just uh it's cool it it, it's it's neat that you're kind of you know getting embarrassed or you know kind of shy i mean it just shows what a humble person you are and i think that's a beautiful thing yeah i kind of just i'm like thank you i i just i'm kind of just i'm a little at a loss for words like how you know I, I how i've gained you know some traction you know and, and an audience um but i kind of just keep posting videos and sometimes i do collaborations with with other people so you know that's a way for you know kind of you know two-way street kind of thing like my audience can you know see my friends videos now and, and and it's kind of we're all helping each other out and I feel like um yeah overall you know Instagram has been a kind of collaborative and uh welcoming space um for um for people around the world around the world which that's is- the that's the wonderful thing about the internet's right is that we get to uh you know reach out to people all over the place I really love that so tell everybody you're on a nominee, nom, uh, Grammy nominated. Let me do that again. So tell everybody you're on a Grammy nominated recording. Can you tell us how that happened? You said you sort of have a story or something about. Yes, yes, I do. So it's yeah, it's it's pretty cool, I guess. It's it's a little bit surreal, um, but it also kind of feels like it's not even real in a way because Hmm. of kind of how it all happened so i'm on i'm on john legend's uh album that he released this year i'm on one of one of his songs so it's not you know i didn't play on the whole album just one song but how the one song came about is a very like uh, when i think of like the music industry in new york 
like this is probably something I would I you know a classic you know New York uh, experience but in August of 2018 I I had a friend who was assistant engineering at a studio in Times Square I don't exactly remember which one but was it power station or something like that or avatar no the the two it didn't ring didn't ring a bell at the time because i know what those look like i've seen pictures i love the fact amazing oh my god right i love the (laughs) fact yeah i i uh i missed the studios but um i love the fact that you recorded a track on a john legend record and you have no idea what the name of the studio was i i think that is a (laughs) That's a beautiful, hey folks, listen to Danae. Sometimes that stuff, because people often in these in these podcasts, they'll correct me on certain things. And I'm mm. saying that detail just isn't that important. What's important is what's around it. So Definitely. I'm sorry, I interrupted your story. So no, no, no worries. Um, I, yeah, so I, I still don't know the studio to this day. And I went there, um, my friend, <laughs> I love assistant- that. <laughs> assistant engineer friend um said hey you want to come in you know this day uh in august 2018 and you know we're recording a song we need some piano on a on a track um and at the time the artist was not john legend it was another um guy who had was signed to the same label as john legend um and originally it was going to be his song so i went in the studio i recorded this you know fairly simple piano part um and was in there for maybe an hour total was recording maybe for a half an hour total um just did a couple takes and the engineer was like yeah it sounds great you know she had maybe one suggest like try it higher in this part or lower in this part uh but nothing nothing crazy um and i got a hundred dollars on venmo i was like it was like yep easy <laughs> easy sweet like that was awesome. Like an hour for a hundred dollars. Come on. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, nothing, I didn't hear from either of them, um, till last December, December, 2019. I'm on my way to a little, uh, you know, holiday shindig actually around what day is today? Really around. Yeah. Maybe like around this time, uh, last, last year. And I'm on my way to this thing and I get a text from this uh, unknown number and said, hey, Danae, it's it's, you know, so and so from, you know, the recording session last August. I just wanted to let you know that the song you played on uh, um, got picked up by John Legend and it's it's uh, going to be the first single that he's releasing on his on his new album in 2020. And I'm like, what? John Legend? And I was I think I just responded like John I said, oh, wow, amazing. John Legend? <laughs> like, I was like, wait, really? <laughs> is, is it like, is this a bot or something? Like exactly. somebody's like just, ju- exactly. you know, jerking me around or whatever. Exactly. I mean, it took like a minute to be like, oh, that's like really big. And so I was like, okay, great. Like, how can I go about uh, getting royalties for this? Um, you exactly. Know, I, was, I was, you know, as you know, I was originally paid X on Venmo. <laughs> and she said, she said, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I can look into that for you. But uh, most likely, most likely, you're going to have to go through the union. Um, you're going to have to become a member, a member of the union so you can get union fees. So sure enough, I send multiple emails co- to the union calls, you know, 
this is now January. This is now like the song's been released. It's it's blown up. It's number one on Apple, whatever, iTunes. I don't know. Uh, and I'm like, oh my god, this is big. Like, I wonder if I'm gonna get any money for this. <laughs> and and uh, and many after many 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 months, as of one month ago, now November 2020. I finally, finally was able to eventually communicate with the people I needed to communicate with, not through the union. I never was even able to get in contact with the union. Um, but I finally got paid a little bit more. Um, but for the longest time, I was like, yeah, I'm, I play on this song and I got paid $100 on, <laughs> on Venmo for it. So it's just, a, it's, a, it's a funny, uh, interesting story. Also says... I'd say it says a lot about kind of the music industry as well, kind of where we're at, like, you know, people, you know, receiving a fair uh, wage for work that they do, you know, streams are also huge right now. And, you know, I, it's, I don't know if really I saw the accurate representation. I mean, it's just money too, like whatever, like I'm happy. I'm so grateful just for the opportunity and, you know, I had already kind of come to a place maybe last this past spring where I was like, Hey, like if I don't get paid any more money, like that's such a cool thing that I did that. And I didn't even know that was going to happen until a month before the song came out. And um, yeah, weird, funny story. <laughs> well, it, it's weird. It's funny. And it's, it's super cool. But one thing that I understand is musicians well artists in general are especially during the pandemic are just giving their their art away i mean not everybody but there is a lot of people that are, have just given up and i'm like i'm just gonna do this live stream and take tips if i get them or just put this yeah. video up on youtube and it's you know i mean i'm not doing this this podcast necessarily to generate income but it crossed my mind because, you know, I'm people so far, everybody's just been generously saying, yeah, I'd love to be on your podcast. And so thank you very much, Danae, for course, taking your time. But it's, it's interesting because if you were protected when you did that session by the union, scale, I think, is about 385. So you would have gotten $385 and mm -hmm. you would have been a musician for hire, work for hire. Right, and you right. would not be able to get royalties or any of that because wow. you don't, you, you don't have, yeah, but that's, it depends on the contract that, that you sign when you do the work. Right. And at the time I didn't, you know, it was a verbal. Not, I'm like, I'm like yeah. 80. None of us yeah. think about it. Yeah. We're yeah. like, yeah, man, I'll fucking Sweet. do, I'll do your record, man. I'll like play on that <laughs> track, man. And they're like, you know, I'll take you out to dinner. Is that cool? I'm like, Sure. And then it, if it goes, you know, a lot of sales, you're like, uh oh, geez, uh, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. believe me, yeah. I could tell some stories of situations I've gotten myself in where it's like, yep. Yeah. I, mean, I, I would like to hear those someday. I, I, I like, yeah. Well, the thing I'm is curious. that there is, um, there are non-disclosure agreements and even what, when Prince became, the symbol instead of Prince, it was, he was in, uh, in a lawsuit with, uh, was it, is it Warner? I think he was with Warner at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, 
he, they owed him like $350 million. He said, I'm not, you know, anyway, he ended up winning. Uh, there was a thing with Conan O'Brien when he lost the TV show and he had to sue. I mean, it, it, you know, it's just phenomenal, the stories and at different levels of those. It was like, yay, I got a talk show. Sure, I'll sign this contract. Oh, you fired me after a week or a month, whatever it was with Conan, right? But you you can't just do that. You, I, My contract is for six months or a year. I don't remember exactly. And he ended up having to sue to get his money for the time that he, they fired him. Wow. And it's like, really? Like, how come people just aren't cool, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not talking, John Lennon, I don't know John Legend. I'm not talking about you, sir. I'm just talking about in general. Like, why? hey, man, you know, you should get a piece of the pie here. You know, Spotify, pay me, you know, $2 for my- Oh my God, don't even get me started with Spotify. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's general, like, weird like thing where it's just like even in the music industry there's we're still like in this like weird pyramid like tier thing and it's like i feel like man of all industries why the music industry like why does it have to be a similar thing where it's like there's these you know one percent of people up up here you know that are just raking in so much i mean i mean if, if those spotify guys you know shared their income just from doing nothing well each year you know raking in all these you know all this revenue from other people's you know putting their music on spotify and they shared that oh man it would be really it would be really something but yeah it's just strange how we're still you know we're all still climbing this like ladder and there's no like platform where that really the wealth is shared evenly um it, well, you know, it's, it, you know, it's interesting, Danae, if I can just interject here. Yeah. I belong to this uh, thing called Entrepreneur, and uh, this gentleman, Circa Mundo, is the guy who started it. And it's, it's all about this. So it's about, well, independent music artists, but it can be flushed out to, you know, all, all different types of um, artistic endeavors <laughs> and how we often allow ourselves to get pounced on and you know it's those trying to get your spotify plays or streaming plays in general you know is a wonderful thing but anyway on there sorry long way around the horn there but i was talking about how we used to get what we called mail money which was copyright royalties for content that we created, whether that were sync licensing or radio plays or actual record sales or whatever, I would get substantial checks, three, five, $7,000, you know, a month, whatever. And so, and one of the people in your age group on in this private group that you pay to belong to said, well, wait, what are you talking about? You got money? for your music from sales or like this kid, I mean, and sorry to call you folks kids, but you know, you are. Um, No no offense taken. (laughs) But okay. But well, anybody who might take offense, I'm sure will let me know. But it's, it's was interesting to me that he just could not wrap his head around the idea that I and my friends and other people, of course, were getting paid when their music sold or was used on a commercial. I've never, Mm -hmm 
been in a commercial that I know of musically. Um, or like my friend, uh, my friend's got one of their songs on a, on a, in a movie, a Netflix uh, series, but it was a cover of a Charlie Parker song. So they, they got no money. Wow. Nope. Insane. I do have actually a one story or one thing that uh, I did get, actually get money for where I was feel like I was compensated fairly, which was uh, the first summer I was in New York. I got a random call from a friend of a friend um, and he was like, Hey, I have an audition for this commercial uh, and we need a keys player. It's tomorrow. It's like tomorrow morning. Can you do it? And I was like, sure. And I showed up and we did this cover. We made up this arrangement, uh, like this four piece band of this price is right theme song. And it was, and it was for like a New York state lottery commercial, but the, the primary actors in that were, were a band. So they wanted a band to play the Price is Right theme song for their lottery commercial. And because we were like in the show, we ended up getting, you know, he ended up getting the gig. And so I was, I ended up being in this New York State lottery commercial. And that's the only time I was paid, compensated fairly, but not for the music. I feel like it was just because of the screen time, because we were considered primary actors in the thing so it got played you know on tv after you know the uh, baseball games and after jeopardy and you know it was like i i never actually saw it like live that would have been really cool but um but yeah that was time one time where i was compensating but only because i was a primary actor in the regardless i mean yeah was even though i was playing music i was still like on the screen and i think that's why i got the got compensated fairly. You're correct. That's why you got compensated. But yeah. the reality is is that there was laws passed that made all those things possible, just like the 40-hour the work oh, week really? and when, the women's right to vote and gay rights and Ro, Roe v. Wade, you know, mm. abortion and all this stuff. I mean, that's because – and one thing that's streaming and Spotify is just is attempting to just destroy that structure. Yes. And yes. it's doing a pretty gosh darn good job. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, and this is uh, totally up to you if you would answer this question or not. Um, and also depending on your time, but because I do, I do at least have one question off your list, but I want to ask this because I've been asking yeah. pretty much everybody on the podcast. Can you talk about, and I spoke with Maya letter or she's a, about your age and she's a budding chef. And I uh, spoke to her last week. And so she talked about this as it relates to the restaurant and service industry. But, mm-hmm. and then I had this gay author on James Gavin um, on Sunday, and he was talking about George Michael. He's writing a biography on him. And George uh-huh. Michael what, never really came out as a gay man because mm-hmm. it would have just, he got forced out by that whole scandal, bathroom, sex, and, and that kind of really damaged his career. But uh, it, to me, it was a little depressing. I'm like, really? Like George Michael can't come out, you know? Yeah. But, but what about this? What about sexism or racism or homophobia in the music business? I mean, it, all three of those or just one of them or two, you know, whatever you want to talk about, if you want to. Yeah, I, I think all three are still very much 
present uh, in the music industry. I can speak about the you know sexism aspect of that as I am a female and I am not a vocalist by trade. I sing one song on my EP, but other than that, I mean, I've been just an instrumentalist my whole life. So uh, I, yeah, I've experienced a bit of this at Berkeley, especially, um, you know, being in a super rigorous environment and coming into Berkeley just like strictly a jazz instrument, you know, piano, jazz pianist. And, you know, and I've, you know, I just remember going to, you know, jam sessions my first year at Berkeley and, you know, being in this, you know, classroom or ensemble room of, you know, say there's 20, 20 people in there. I'm the only girl. Um, and yeah, just a lot of just having to really fight my way just to be able to play like a half a song, <laughs> like, you know, a, you know, a song, um, you know, hold, hold, a, yes. Hold, today, hold on. First of all, let's clarify. You're talking about Berkeley School of Music in Boston. Berkeley. Yes. Right. Just because there is the Berkeley, California. Right. right, right so. Of course. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just kind of. Made Let's, it. I don't want to I don't want to make things too niche, even though if, if somebody is here, they're probably very curious about your thoughts and understand gotcha. what Berkeley is. But just wanted to be clear yeah. in case somebody's, you know, parent is watching or something. Right. Right. But um, when you say you had to fight your way through in a in a, a session at Berkeley, what is it? What are you fighting? What are you talking about? I mean, uh, this, you know, the door is here. You know, I'm standing close to the door I because the room is totally packed. And there's, you know, say there's five between five and ten people per instrument that are all rotating out of this jam session. And I don't know. I, I sometimes it just kind of seemed like I, I was kind of invisible. Because you're a female is what you're because, saying. Yes. Um, hmm. And uh, which is... Which is interesting, and and also at the time I was really kind of, I was pretty shy in these jam sessions. I didn't, you know, didn't have a ton of confidence about my playing. So I'm hearing these other people. I'm obviously thinking, oh shit, like these people are so good. I'm not as good. Like I should I even play? So I obviously had those doubts as well. And because of that, I I wasn't really. Uh, I didn't really push my way to the front, you know, I would let everyone else kind of have their turn. But then when it did come time to, for, you know, everyone's now played, now people are starting to go their second time. And I haven't gone my first time. I haven't played, you know, my first time. And, and uh, I don't know, maybe part of it is my, you know, kind of shyness in that, in that instance. But I also feel like it's, it's that, you know, people maybe didn't want me to, to play as much as them. They didn't want to give me a chance. No one was like, hey, like, come on, like, yeah, give it a shot. You know, I just felt really, uh, yeah, in that instance, just kind of invisible per se. Um, and I got more confident, you know, I've gained confidence over the years. It's, 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 I'd say it's gotten better, but I have seen it in, in New York at jam sessions as well. Just like, you know, these female instrumentalists kind of, you know, who aren't trying to sing a song, you know, just really like waiting around and I can tell they want to play and just no one's really ch helping them get that opportunity to, you know, sh you know, to play. And I, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Um, so even though you're haven't really given us a concrete example that it was based on the fact that you were, you know, female, you even called yourself a girl, which, which bothers some 
some women at this point to mm. even call, call them a girl. Um, I mean, you know, we've all just become very sensitive to, you know, things that are no longer acceptable that we've put up with or like my friends jokingly call me faggot or something like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of funny, but it's also like, you know, come on. Yeah. I mean, um, but you don't really have, unless you can think of, and I realize I'm, I'm just throwing this question at you without any prep and I apologize for that, but how, how do we know that those interactions you had at Berkeley in Boston school of music in Boston, and then, you know, jam sessions in New York, your observations, how do we, maybe that's just uh, people didn't think you were good enough or confident enough. How do we know it's because you were a female? And that's a devil's advocate question. Right, I obviously right. understand, but can you, can you bring us all into what that feels like if you're, if you're up for it? Uh, yeah, I can try. Um, I, I, uh, it, no, it, it is a hard, it is a hard question. It's hard. And also because you don't want to. Because maybe I don't know, like maybe it yeah. wasn't, but right. I, I don't know if there's a way that I will, will really be sure. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard stories, I, I guess nothing really firsthand, but I have heard stories about, I don't, I don't know, like verbal, you know, you know, some people saying some verbal stuff towards, you know, you know, towards female instrumentalists. I don't know. I don't, I don't really want to speak to that. Cause I didn't, you know, I haven't experienced of any. Right. We've all heard stories yeah, like, Hey, yeah, you, yeah. you sound pretty good for a girl. Yeah. Or yeah, you're like, I didn't know a lady could play so well and look so beautiful. Uh, you yeah. know, we've all heard these firsthand stories. So yeah. let's just say Danae has very good intuition which she acknowledged earlier about being an empath. And I don't know if that was in the official interview, but we talked about your um, empathy and your ability to understand and um, yeah. pick up on people's energy. And whereas maybe something like racism and or homophobia is a little more kind of in your face because there's derogatory terms, you know, and if you're a male, you know, we like to go at each other kind of thing. But uh, I think we'll, we'll just let that rest. And um, I just want to say, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to it. And I mean, you would be surprised how fired up some people have been getting about this subject. I mean, yeah. Maya had a lot to say about it. And I, I think I just put something on Instagram where she talks about it. But yeah. uh, um, I want to check it out. I'm yeah. curious. I, I'm curious. I want to know what everyone else is, you know, saying about subject i mean pretty much the I, same crap is happening in the restaurant industry and yeah and in the 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 writer or author you know world uh, music jazz yeah it's oh. there so um <sighs> absolutely love these questions and they're all kind of related and i also i don't know if i find one of them funny but i i want to know your answer so I'm going to ask three questions because I feel like they're all related and okay. you do whatever you want with them. So right. just give me a second. What chords slash chord scale pairings have you been digging? Well, that's one okay. major versus minor, no punctuation. <laughs> and, yeah, that one. Right. And then 
this one, which I love. How do you resolve an E flat major flat nine sharp 11 over B chord? (laughs) I can't, I can't wait. I don't know if there's some kind of inside joke there or if you're actually going to answer that. Absolutely. Again, I don't know if the person was uh, just kind of right, you know, just picking a random serious string of, you know, notes, chords, but I, yeah, that was very funny. Um, okay. So there's the first one, what chords slash chords, chords, chord scales, pairings. Have you been digging? Okay. So yeah, I have this, um, kind of exercise that I've come up with in the last, uh, two years or so that are, I call them chord scales. Um, and what I'll do, uh, I don't know if I'm really, I can actually link, this would be a good thing to link uh, okay. maybe after because um, I have a little tutorial um, on it on the internet. Um, but it's these chord scales and pretty much what it is is picking um, like two kinds of chords, maybe say a minor seventh chord and then a major seventh chord and then pairing that with any scale, any scale. So say like a C major scale and it's, it's really hard to explain. It would be easier if I, uh, if, you know, people go and watch the, the link um, afterwards. But um, pretty much we use the scale in our top voice. Um, so like my pinky in the right hand and everything that's below my pinky in the left hand is alternating between the two chords that I said. So like starting with a C and like a whatever, like uh, the first chord is so like a minor minor seventh um so it'll be like a c in the top voice and then a minor seventh and then we keep going up the scale and the chord qualities are also alternating as i said major seventh to minor seventh to major seventh back to minor seventh and it just kind of ends up uh being able to you know give you these crazy cool harmonic ideas and that's just um you know that's just a major scale too if you get into other scales and stuff than the chords, then the, you know, chords become crazier and it ends up just being this cool ear training thing. Um, but it, it'll, it may, it'll, I promise it'll make more sense uh, if you hear it in this, in the video. I, I got this uh, interesting question for you, Danae, and I would actually, I got three of them, which I think are related. Um, so I'm going to ask all three and then, he, you know, see if you have a response to them. Sure. One is what chords slash chord scale pairings have you been digging? The next one is major versus minor, which I mean, that's like asking which came first, the chicken or the egg, but we'll see. And then this one, which I love, how do you resolve an E flat major slash flat nine sharp 11 over <laughs> B chord? But uh, why don't we start with the first one? What chords, chord scale pairings have you been digging? And maybe you can, uh, you know, show us on your keyboard since you have it out. Sure, sure, yeah. So I came up with this, like, weird little exercise that I call chord scales um, about two years ago. And um, I think it, uh, overall, it's just a really cool way to, you know, kind of start hearing some new sounds, uh, new chord pairings, uh, string of chords. Um, but it's just a good, uh, kind of ear training thing that I've, uh, come across, uh, with self-discovery over the last, uh, over, you know, since, uh, moving to New York. So my chord scales, I guess I'll just, um, give a quick, uh, little rundown. Um, 
But to do this chord scale thing, we must first pick a, pick a scale, any scale. So say we do a C major scale. Okay, and then let's pick a chord voicing. And let's just start with one chord voicing. So for example, we can say like a minor seventh. So just you know, like anything like that. Um, and then third step, uh, I guess you kind of have to work backwards in a way, but the way it works is the scale degree will always be the top voice of your chord. So we're doing a C major scale. So every single note in the C major scale will be a different chord and it'll always be the top voice of the chord. And after we do that, we're gonna work backwards in that we ask ourselves, okay, so the first chord, the first scale degree is the top voice of what chord? So if we're doing a minor seventh chord, this structure, right? Uh, this top note is the fifth, the fifth of the chord we're playing. So in this case, we're playing a C minor seven and our G is our top note. So we have to say, okay, in a C major scale, C is the fifth scale degree of what chord, which is an F minor seven. So our first chord we're gonna play is an F minor seven. we work up the scale right now we're just using our minor seventh chord so we just work up the scale um using this same structure where the voicing we are currently using is you know our top voice is the fifth scale degree of the chord and we're gonna play a c major scale so when so when we repeat each of these steps for each of the scales it kind of ends up sounding like this so it's like f minor seven g minor seven a minor seven, B flat minor seven, C minor seven, D minor seven, E minor seven, F minor seven. And so that's like, that's kind of the gist of it. But it starts becoming kind of cool when we mix up like the chord quality. So if we do the same scale, but say we're alternating between major seven and minor seven, it will end up sounding like. That. Um, cool. So I don't know, that's that's a kind of basic, you know, we're just using a C major scale. If we use, you know, any other kind of scale, it's gonna start sounding crazier and crazier and crazier. And so there's kind of, you know, once you open the, wait, what's the phrase? Once you open the can of worms, <laughs> once you open there's something about a can of worms i don't know i don't know them <laughs> well we i mean i think i've been using the the phrase that you know going down the rabbit hole yeah exactly also is like opening up a can of worms yeah. and um that other other than actually just even without your your analyzing and describing what 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 that is it just sounds really nice. It's pleasant to listen to. And, and so that part is, is cool for me. Yeah. But, so what, so what happened first? Did you um, deliberately create this as an, a teaching tool or did it just come to you through your playing? Were you influenced by maybe a, a mentor or a, somebody you look up to musically or how, how did it come about? Yeah. For that, I'd say I was kind of just like a, like a, self-discovery like I just kind of just discovered it I feel like I don't know anyone else that's doing it um 
Well, not not, not until they see this. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think I think I was just kind of playing around with some chords, and I always I always like this chord, and I was kind of just trying to practice the one chord that I really liked, and I started doing this like ascending thing, um, and it just started sounding really cool, and I was like, oh, what if I do, do this kind of thing and just you know play this scale in my top voice and I was like oh wow that sounds like amazing and I just kind of just yeah spawned from that I think um just I don't know I don't know I could I don't know I get excited just that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think that that your fans will appreciate you describing that. And I, you know, for me, I mean, I've asked uh, my students over the years, where do you think music come from? You know, where does it come from? Yeah. And very rarely can somebody answer that question. And I can I can answer it, but I'm not sure my answer is right. You know, whether it's a from the universe or source, or some people might even say it comes from God, or some people say it's scientific and that you have to, you know, theorize and think. But mm -hmm. um, I, I really, sometimes when people ask me, why did you write this song or that song? And maybe you can relate, it's like, I, I don't know. I just kind of heard it. I just heard this music and I wrote it down and or I taught it to my band and then it became a song. I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's why it's weird when sometimes I get these pe weird periods of like, I, nothing's coming to me and it kind of freaks me out. Right. And I admit, and it's kind of, it's happened a bit this over the course of this year, like, you know, kind of trying to fight like, oh man, I want music. I want a music to come out of me and just nothing is... I don't know if it's because I'm less inspired because I'm not seeing live shows. Honestly, I have no idea. I feel like, you know, everything around me inspires me and that's that's how I create music. Maybe I'm maybe I hear something. I simultaneously maybe I've heard a recording and there was a part of the recording that was really cool. And even if I haven't listened to it in like a month, it'll something will of that uh, some you know, something will have stuck with me and it ends up kind of just manifesting in this like thing that I think of, but yeah, it's interesting. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's what we do, you know, we, we write and, you know, play music, but, you know, and again, we could postulate, you know, and theorize about where that energy comes from. And I, there's a ton of things on the internet where, you know, they're quoting Einstein and, you know, about what he thinks of music. And I can't remember the quote all of a sudden or Tesla or Robert E. Grant and, yeah. you know, and, or, um, maybe we just crave it. Maybe we just like, it's like ear food. Like maybe a long time ago, people were like, Oh, this sounds, this, this sounds really good. Like, like to my ears, like, <laughs> or something. I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, and it's those, those periods of writer's block, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're talking about. Yes. And I have a, a lot of friends who are authors or just even writers in, uh, you know, online, you know, like The Intercept and so forth. Um, but, and they talk about when they have writer's block, but they have to, an article due or they have to finish a book and they're 
fucking halfway through and they're like, ah, I have nothing right now, man. It's a, it's a crazy place to be in. All I can tell you is that, you know, when you're in your twenties, that feeling is one thing, but when you're in your nineties, like me, it's a whole other thing. Cause you're like, is that it? Is it over? You know, like, am I never going to write another piece of music or, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, and then add the pandemic and no shows and no tours and blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, whatever we're doing little stuff, but it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wow, what's even the point of writing a song right now? You know, I'm not saying that, that I believe that, but you know, there's yeah. a little bit of uh, yeah, I have this great idea and I have a song, but who am I going to play for? You know? Yeah. It's yeah. It's been interesting. I feel like it's been, you know, this year has kind of been some of that, like that mentality, but also like mentality of like trying to just accept that it is every life, everything is what it is right now. You know, everything is as, as it is right now. And if I can't think of, you know, if nothing's coming to me, then okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all okay. It's going to come, the song is going to come to me when, when it does, um, you know, but I think if anything there, I've just really taken a step back this year and, and just been okay with everything, you know, it's just, yeah, just being, just being able to be okay with, you know, the fact that nothing is like lots of things are not okay right now. And just being like, okay, this is how it is. And we're just gonna take it day by day. And, you know, then in the future, then yeah, then I am, then I'll write a really awesome song. And if it's not today, if I don't start it today, then that's okay. That's okay too. That's what, kind of where I'm at. <laughs> it, it's absolutely, I, I really, everybody, I really, I hope you're listening to Danae, her words here. I mean the whole time, but that, was beautifully said. And one thing I was James Gavin, who's the author writing the book on George Michael. Mm -hmm. When we did our episode, one thing that came up was we wonder what the music is going to come from the pandemic. I mean, so when you talk about the Vietnam war or, you know, other, other movements or things, it's that music happened. Yeah kind of during those periods, but it, it sort of came after. It was right. in reaction to. Right. And so we're in the pandemic and of course people are having Corona concerts and blah, COVID jams and blah, 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 COVID cooking. And, <laughs> but I think that, you know, if this ends, whatever that looks like, I'm not gonna guess what that looks like. I think then we're gonna like in 2022 or something, we're gonna see, all right, this is what, you know, gestated, it's kind of like having a baby, like these nine months or whatever it's been, we'll see it and we'll hear it then. And then that'll yeah. be the representation. Totally. totally. Um, but let's, uh, I, do you want to tackle this E flat major flat nine? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Major versus minor. I mean, I feel like I'm more of a major kind of person. Although, <laughs> I, although I love minor chords. I love those minor 11 chords, but in overall, I'd say, I'd say major for me. <laughs> um, and as far as the E flat, what is it? E flat? Uh, I don't know. Over B. That's so crazy uh how I, how would i resolve it <laughs> honestly 
I feel like it's a it's a kind of up it's a there. trick question. It's a trick question, I think. Uh, I don't know. And then shouldn't go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna try to sing something like that. Just do Mozart, just kind of tail it off there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Awesome. Whoever that was is just gonna be so psyched that you just did what you did. Um the, the, the funny thing is that um there was there was a fourth question. I people must think you're some kind of chord genius or something. Cause they said just some of your favorite chords, maybe, I don't know. Some of my favorite chords. I mean, uh, you've kind of been doing that, but please feel free to uh, rock it. I mean, uh, I think I I've, I've kind of developed starting to develop my own sound over the, you know, since, I don't know maybe late high school and I've been doing that actually I was really inspired by Aaron Parks I had a really amazing lesson with him uh, my senior year of high school and like this beautiful old upright piano somewhere on like out right outside of Seattle just beautiful like uh, I don't know he just had I just had a really amazing lesson with him where he was you know kind of introduced to me just the idea of using my ear to create colors and to create my own sound. And a lot of that was through like drones and like singing. Um, but then with that, I've, I've kind of used, ended up, it's, it's ended up being using this foundation that I grew up with, with, you know, my, the jazz chord, the, the chords structures that I learned early on in middle school and kind of using that as my foundation. And then from that kind of, creating sounds that um you know that are me i mean i don't know it's I, maybe when people hear me they're like oh yeah that sounds like danae but for me i'm just trying to use my ears and be colorful so like it could be like you know coming going from this structure you know this fairly simple jazz chord to like the same kind of you could use the same chord symbol but it but uh playing you know that kind of sound instead you know i don't know i just trying to you know lots of clusters and just kind of trying to find my own sound i don't know i guess favorite chords i still love i still love this chord <laughs> i keep going back to that chord but just other random like clusters and such just being a weird like cluster scale but i guess it turns into a chord um <laughs> it's probably it's probably one of those um <laughs> self-actualizations you'll have eventually as you did uh, you said two years ago or so with this sort of chord uh scale exercise yeah teaching tool you know maybe eventually you'll be able to articulate it in a way that's you know more refined it's, but it's hard to yeah i'm also so bad at like trying to explain how my brain works and that's mm. why i feel like it, it, yeah sometimes it's hard for me to like teach lessons about like how i think about like 
piano and chords and stuff because people want like like structured like this is how I do this and I I'm still figuring it out and that makes it really hard to try to articulate and that's probably why my some of my responses are like a bit lengthy because I'm like trying to figure out how to describe it like as I'm trying to I don't know it's not premeditated I haven't like thought about why I play an E flat minor chord like that but that's just kind of what I'm hearing and just trying to use my ears as much as I can and develop um unique you know sounds based on that I, I had um I had this gentleman Nikki Hamid on the other night and he's from New Zealand and he was born in 1941 wow. so I didn't ask his age. I just asked the year he was born because I think it's kind of neat. And so he's either 79 or 80, but well-lived. It has a PhD in psychology, was a therapist and then a professor for many years, now retired. Why he came on my show, I have no idea. It was so cool. I felt like I was talking to Gandalf from uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> I, and and he, he was like, you know, asking me if I had questions. I was, no, sir please just talk, you know, <laughs> I can't believe you're here and taking your time to speak to me. So, you know, oh, amazing. But, but one of the things that he, he spoke to was even for him, you know, coming on camera and speaking to me, we had never met in person and, and never talked before. And he goes, I yet get, ex uh, you know, has a New Zealand accent. He goes, yeah, I yet get excited then, you know, still and nervous, you know, to be in these situations so like still, Yes, yeah, because you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, it, it's, you know, things just kind of go the way they go. And I was like, that's kind of like when you're a kid, right? I mean, you just sort of do stuff. You get to bang on the piano or in my case, I just would go down to my room and put on concerts in my bedroom, you know, my saxophone. And no, I mean, nobody was there, but I was just in my bedroom like, thank you, having fun. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I, I feel as though, you know, as we, as we grow in, in, in age, we, we start to overanalyze or try to, you know, do stuff that we've already done. I mean, I've been guilty of both of those things, so I'm not pointing fingers, but yeah. I think it's cool that you can say, Hey, you know, I kind of just do what I hear actually. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, maybe at some point I'll try to put it into words and refine it and try to figure out exactly how I can explain it clearly. <laughs> and I'm sorry if it wasn't like super clear, but it's honestly that I, I still don't really know. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how my brain operates and how I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, make that a reality in my music, my more recent music. I'm trying to really put all that. That's how I kind of get it all on the, the refined place is just, writing writing to you know what i'm hearing and i feel like that's the best way that i can showcase that right now but not to say in the future i can you know it's about words in, <laughs> in words. my in my humble lived experience it's better to postscript some kind of analytical than it is to to prescript it but that i'm an improviser i just my my brother Tom always jokes that I like to just 
improvise and th- see how things go. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have this list of questions that, you know, we we're going to get to, but we're also just going off script and talking about other things. And, but I, I think generally from what everybody and what I was curious about, what everybody, your fans were asking you was, I wonder if she, you know, is, you know, writing or thinking about this, these chords or whatever beforehand, or is it, do you, would you kind of agree with that? Or do you think that assessment is incorrect? Um, I would, I would agree. I feel like it's actually either, or I feel like sometimes I all think of chords first and then melody after. And then sometimes I think it's opposite. I think sometimes a melody will just come to me and then I'll put the chords to the melody, um, after, after the fact, it kind of just depends. Um, it's, kind of ends up just being what I'm inspired by in that, in that moment. Um, so yeah. I think, I think it's important. Um, There's no right or wrong. Exactly. But. To say like the most <laughs> yeah. important thing is to step away from judging ourselves about our process. We yes. all have our process. And sometimes as in for a guy like me, I'll wake up as I told you at midnight, it was actually 1223. I remember looking at the clock <laughs> And so that's my process. That's where things happen for me. And I did a bunch of creating uh, during that period up until noon in the day. And it's, yeah. And so here's what something interesting about that. I just had this intuitive hit. I said, I should do a search on Danae and to see what comes up. Okay. Oh boy. All right. (laughs) And I did this search and this has nothing to do with you other than that this quote came up when I, when I uh, was reverse, do you know how to reverse look somebody up on the internet? No. You can take a quote that somebody made and, and type it in and, and it'll reverse look up the source. Ah. And so I typed in that E flat major sharp nine flat 11 <laughs> up your butt B chord over B. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I just got vulgar. I'm very sorry. Um, and this quote came up. I'm fascinated that people talk of quote music theory as if it, it as if it were actually a theory, a theory, yeah, yeah. or a theoretical work. Right. So theory right. is is it a theory? Music theory? I mean, are we just kind of theorizing? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's so funny. You just type that into Google, and that's what came up. That's crazy. Yeah, but I mean, I did. I, I use DuckDuckGo, so that has its uh, own filters. I have private browsing, yeah. whatever. So I just was. I was like, forget everything else that I see here. This is a really interesting quote. Like, yeah, we do call it theory. Technically, I feel like it's yeah, it's just a technical term. I don't. I I don't know if it means much i mean i took ap music theory in high school so a- a, is that advanced placement right yes i yeah. still did the the test and ever there was still a test but it was for music theory it, it almost felt weird it felt like i was being judged on how well i can write correct answers i mean i guess that's what a test is an ap test <laughs> but just the fact that it was i was being tested on you know music theory was like a little strange like just very structural i mean i don't know i guess that's what they have to do in high school 
those kinds of tests. I did, you know, they do AP tests for every subject and I guess they, I don't know. All right, so now we know that Danae was the valedictorian at her school. Oh my gosh, Graduated with honors. She was an AP. Far from it, oh my gosh. They put me in AP as well and I was like, this is so much fucking work. I mean, I was honored to be one of the smart ones, but man, they make you work hard. All right, so let's let's barrel through um, uh, these questions. When do you start playing? I think that person meant when did you start playing? I think you answered that question. Yes. What what motivates you to play keyboard related instruments every day? Mm-hmm. I think you. Yeah. Did you, you want to speak to that? Um. What motivates me? I. I mean. So- it depends. I mean, sometimes I'm motivated, sometimes I'm not motivated. But like I said earlier, I think whatever the motivation is, is great. And I think if there's not a lack of motivation, I think that's also fine. And I think it's, it's especially nowadays, but I mean, I don't know, I'll be motivated by like, you know, a dog that I met that day or a song that I heard or any, you know, daily life event I think can inspire us. Um, to play and sit down at our instruments or sit down at a new instrument or do anything. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I try to have a practice routine and sometimes I don't have a routine and it's kind of just ends up being uh, uh, whatever whatever I'm feeling that day. Um, I think basically... If we read between the lines, this person, what motivates you to play keyboard related instruments every day might be asking, I don't feel as motivated as you to do that. What motivates you? And you've given people permission several times now, at least twice. You know, if you're not feeling motivated, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up. If you go a day or two without touching your instrument, it's okay. It'll come back. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I'm motivated because I want to, you know, play, you know, be a musician and be in this kind of field for the rest of my life. I mean, that's, that's kind of huge. Like I want to be, you know, doing this in, you know, 50 years and that's crazy to think about, but I think it's also crazy that music is something that we can do in 50 years and like, you know, for our entire lives, we don't have to retire from it. Danae, it's crazy. It's Danae, I, I, I'm not really exactly sure what year I started playing saxophone. So I just say 11. Yeah. Okay. It was like fourth or fifth grade I started, but I, I, to keep it consistent on the internet and Wikipedia, I just say 11. So (laughs) I've been playing saxophone for 45, 44 years. So you're talking to a guy going on 50 years of playing. Yeah. Hey, so it's I'm inspired like, by you. Like that, you're inspiring. Like, well, yeah, but my, I, I guess my point is you're, it's great. And this is why my nephew storm is so brilliant asking you to come on because you're, t- you're going, you know, we can play in 50 years. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> and, but this, this relationship to how do you motivate yourself? to pick up your instrument or in your case, the keyboard or whatever and play every day, you know, when you start to get to where I'm at and you've put in a lot of time, I mean, forget 10,000 hours. I'm sure it's been a hundred thousand for me and a lot of people in my, 
my friends. So it's, it's, it's really, this is really interesting to me because I'm kind of cultivating old farmland that I've had for 40 years or 45 years. And I go back and I might plant new crops, but I might plant the same crops and just, I just want tomatoes. You know, I just want to play one of my songs that I wrote when I was 25 and that's what I want to do. Or uh, maybe I'll do something different, but it's just, it's uh, yeah, we don't have to retire. And I, you know, speaking to Nikki, who's 80, whatever, and you know, is retired, but is still out there, you know, taking his time to talk to me for a couple hours. I'm like, that's pretty badass to have that motivation at that age. Right. Yeah. No, totally. Uh, I think it's, yeah, just, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's inspiring seeing, you know, people his age, you know, just doing it to keep anything still grinding. That's crazy. I mean, like on zoom with some dude from New York who he's never met. And I mean, I have, I get, I I was very respectful. I mean, I, I told him I have no desire to make fun of you. I just love you. And, uh, sir. Um, so let's, uh, let, I, I, I'm going to ask you this. If you have to go, I'll just, I can close it off, but if you don't mind. Yeah. And okay, cool. So two people asked about AR Rahman what songs you should mostly like, please tell me. And you know A.R. Fromm and music? Uh, I do know his music. I don't know it. I would say I don't know it well enough to like make any suggestions per se. I don't know. I, 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 I did see that question. I was a little like, hmm. But um, I think he's an incredible you know, composer and musician that i you know respect his work very much um i don't have any suggestions though i can we do the can we do the the old sage and the the young up-and-coming famous thing for a second i people and especially now with the way the internet is people will associate our music meaning your music and my music okay specifically but in general with what they understand about music. So I go to Norway, I don't know, early 2000s, doing some festivals there. Um, I'm, I've had a couple of Norwegian artists on the, on the show. And they're like, oh, you sound like Jan Garbrick. Now, I don't really sound like Jan Garbrick, <laughs> but that's, that's their reference point. To yeah. them, that's their connection to saxophone and their country. Yeah. And I'll never forget one time I was in Iceland playing. Do you know that band Tift with yeah. Hilmar Jensen yeah, and Jim yeah, Black? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we played this concert. And, you know, that's pretty aggressive, like rock improv. And this woman, probably in her 80s, I don't know, maybe 70s, comes up to me. She goes, You remind me of Louis Armstrong. I was like, What? She goes, Yeah, I, I was able to see him. He came through Iceland then. And, um, you, your energy reminds me of, okay, first of all, that is a huge compliment, but it's also her point of reference. She's in Reykjavik. She lives in a small country. How many jazz shows did she get to go see? And she's associating Louis Armstrong with, with, which was in my case, Tift is a very arguably white, angry, like free jazz rock band. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty safe to say that that's what's going on there. 
and maybe we can even throw in mail to just seal the deal. <laughs> and so to be associated, I mean, I just, I hugged her. I said, you absolutely made my life Aww. by comparing me, well, to Louis Armstrong, I mean. But the, my point just being that whatever the comparison, you know, to this AR Raman is it, just, it's just somebody trying to connect to yeah. the music. And it's, I, I, I'm, you know, I feel like it's almost like I could take it as a compliment that they even want to associate, you know, they even want to ask me something, you know, in relation to him. Like, I mean, he's an incredible composer and I'm like, whoa. I don't know, <laughs> but it's good. I, I, I appreciate people, you know, also that person might be, you know, in a country on the other side of the world. And, you know, the, in the inquiry uh, is, is even like, you know, very cool. Very cool. See, isn't Danae just like, isn't she so nice, everybody? <laughs> and so humble. And what a, let's, uh, I hope you stay this way when you in your 50 years because you know people change but so how would you define the style you play and how do you started to build it okay you pretty much answered that too kind of yeah uh I, what i tried to do with the eight billion questions that your fans asked you was to kind of contextualize them and and make it a little more organic but at the end here in case we miss something or you get inspired and again just remember i can always take me out or cut this stuff out yeah. How would you define the style? You'd be surprised, Danae, how many of my musician friends are like, oh, can we do that again? I'm like, yeah, we're recording. It's like, <laughs> we're in the studio. You can do it again. No problem. More work for me, but it's all right. Um, smallest, uh, I, I like this question. I want, I've been asking my very well-known friends, what's the smallest audience you've ever performed for? I was actually trying to think about that this morning. You're and... supposed to pretend like you haven't heard the questions. Oh. I've never heard that question. <laughs> Good job. Uh, um, I guess, I don't know. I was, I'm trying to think. Um, smallest audience. I mean, in New York, I've, I've played to some pretty small audiences. I'd say five or less people, um, you know, with, with a few groups, you know, actually I did a gig at this venue called Pianos. It's in the East village. And that was like maybe two winters ago. Wow. You played at Pianos. Interesting. Think, yeah. They have like an upstairs, like lounge area. So not like the stage, but like an upstairs area. Wow. And I, and I just did. Did you get just, fired? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't, I actually, yeah, I actually do think that might have been the smallest audience. There was, you know, my group was, I, I was playing my jazz acoustic stuff, uh, some of which you can hear on my EP, Shelter, uh, which is, at, you know, on platforms and stuff. And um, I was playing some of that music. And, yeah, there was four people in my band, including myself. And there was, like, one person sitting and then in the audience listening, who was in the other band that was going to play after, and then, like, one other person that just decided to come upstairs and, like, start dancing, which was awesome. That's like, cool. I actually, I actually loved that. That's and I so didn't, cool. And I didn't mind, like, I mean, we were getting, you know, we were getting paid for tips. It wasn't, you know, I, I, I knew that going in, and I was just like, 
oh right like i'll totally like keep playing these this music 100 percent, and have this person you know just totally vibing uh dancing to this to the music he was a great dancer too um so i'd say that was the smallest audience but honestly i i feel like i get more nervous around larger audiences anyway so i didn't really mind um at all (laughs) there there are countless stories some of which have been and will be on this show where there are people who are now very well known, if not just ap- just downright famous, who people look at and think they started there. Right. So uh, let's just stay with the bad plus because I had Reed Anderson on. Totally. People think, well, they must have just been popular from the beginning. They used to play the Knitting Factory and there would be eight people in the audience. Oh my God, that's crazy. And then, you know, the drummer Paul Motion, right? Of course. He used to go see Miles Davis at the Village Vanguard in Manhattan. And he said, there'd be like 18 to 20 people in the audience, like watching Miles back in the 60s or whatever, 70s. Insane. Probably more the 60s. Because we were bummed out because we did it. I was playing with Paul at the at the Vanguard and um, one of the nights, yeah, there just weren't so many people. He goes, he goes, Bill Evans used to play the pianist on Sunday. He would do the ca- uh, the afternoon. What's it called? The cabaret show? No, yeah, what's that? Yeah. But Some- he- oh my gosh. Yeah. Cabaret. Oh no. I should know. Uh, oh, matinee. Yeah, matinee. Yeah, cabaret. The matinee on Sundays. And <laughs> same thing. There'd be 20 five people there or whatever wow. I, mean. I know but it's hard to imagine especially Pe- with bill, bill evans or, or miles like man it's crazy but no yeah I've, it makes sense though i mean it makes sense you gotta start somewhere like how are you i feel like the only way you're gonna start like up here is you know maybe if your parent or someone relative is like way up there i don't know i don't know like I feel like some of these like pop people these days, you know, who, you know, I'm not going to speak to their talents or not non-talent, but some of these guys can just start way up here just because their dad, you know, money, I don't know, that kind of stuff. It's just like, it's almost not fair, but I would, <laughs> I, I would much rather. That's like, not fair, man. Not fair. I don't know, but it's like, it's not, I'm not even saying that like, I want that. I would rather be where I am right now and where, you know, Bill Evans probably started and Miles and I would rather so much rather. It's more gratifying. I feel like once you continue to make connections and like, you know, just pursue your life in music to start really at that, you know, I'm working, I'm really like working hard and I'm working my way up the ladder. And for myself, I feel like I'm the kind of person that needs that motivation. And if I didn't have the motivation to start, if I was already like, you know, up here right now, I don't know if I would be as motivated or want to practice or want to write as much. Cause what am I, I mean, I don't know what a, kind of like what am I working towards if I already have it if I already have a lot of what I'm striving for what I would want in my life in terms you know for in music I don't know I think yeah 
having that goal of being that, you know, the short, the small staircase or step ladder, uh, starting from that, you know, bottom, lower, uh, places. Great. I think it's necessary almost. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. And so I, I guess for me, the, the overlying and through doing this podcast, I, I realize I start a lot of my statements with so, so, uh, so there I did it again. I'm, I'm attempting mm-hmm. to um, curb my enthusiasm with starting my sentences with so. <laughs> the overlying, the overarching theme here is folks, if you're 20, whatever, maybe even in your early 30s, it's okay. If eight people are in your audience, play to those people dancing. Play to that one person sitting there with their glass of wine or a cup of coffee and really listening to you. Play for them. It's okay. Because sometimes when you start playing for a thousand or more people, it's more difficult to connect with everybody. It's almost just, uh, you know, I'm just putting on a show here and I hope people dig it, you know? Totally. I've, you know, I've been in those instances, you know, a handful of times so far. Um, and you know, I'm, I, I'm less nervous, which is great. Cause I'm, there's less, I mean, I don't have to make eye contact with anyone. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I get to, you know, I kind of just get to do my thing in that way. Maybe I play, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm more nervous around small audiences and I feel, but I feel like it's uh, sometimes maybe I would rather, I'd rather have it that way because then it can be more personable and I can. Maybe I'll affect, you know, 10 people in a super large audience. But if I can like really touch someone, you know, one person in an eight person, you know, audience, like that's so much more gratifying to me. Agreed. Than, you know. I, I, I 100% agree. And I think it's interesting. Crispy has the saxophone and clarinet player composer yeah. has just texted me like 10 times, which is unusual. He's a very uh, sentient being. He, he, Isn't he an extern? Wait. No, he you... moved. He's out in LA with his, his wife and kid oh, now. Okay. But remember. he was my next door neighbor. Yeah, I remember. For, for years. And I remember you, when I, I, one time we were hanging and you're like, yeah, that's him practicing or something. Or something like, or you can hear him practicing. I don't know. Maybe it was someone else. No, it was Chris. Yeah, it was Chris, yeah. and you went over and knocked on the door and because you wanted to meet Chris Speed, and he came down and said hi to you, and you were all psyched. So but funny. I just think it's funny that I haven't heard from Chris in a, a couple of weeks. You know, he's got his own stuff going on with the family. Everything's fine. But And then, like, during this interview, he's texting me madly. Um, one, this is a – what do you call this? I have an agenda, a personal agenda. Mm-hmm. So I talked to this author who's writing. Do you know who George Michael is? Yeah. Okay. Do you know the Careless Whisper solo? Oh, yeah. So I'm talking to this author, James Gavin. And first of all, that solo is written out, which I did not know. Did you assume that it was written out? I did not know that. And he goes... Yeah. It could be either way. But but as a non-musician, he was saying it sounds writ composed to me. I said, yeah, but you never know with this stuff. Like somebody could have walked yeah. in the studio and just played a couple of different solos and they pick one out and right. Right. So it's composed and relating it back to something you said earlier, 
George Michael wrote out the solo, but wrote it out of the range of any saxophone. So nobody could play it. And they had to audition saxophonists to write. I didn't know this either. And I was fascinated by it. And I don't remember, it was like eight or 10 saxophonists. And the last guy was this guy, Steve Gregory or Stephen Gregory. And I'm sorry if I butcher, I think it's Steve Gregory anyway. And so he said, yeah, you're just, it's in the, you just need to transpose it. So it's playable. And he did a take, or I think it was first take. And George was like, that's beautiful, man. Let's use that. And that became this iconic, I mean, like it or not, that thing is everywhere. Oh yeah. But the fact that it came out of somebody's mind as a composed moment in a song that (laughs) can we really sing any more of that song other than the sax solo? Right. I I mean, you and I could uh, musicians, but you know, in general, yeah, I remember the first time I actually heard the song in entirety. I was like, oh, my God, this is a song. <laughs> I was like, oh. oh, my God. Oh, George Michael. You know, he just was so this hated. He was so hated on after that whole bathroom incident. And oh, he, his career just took a real nosedive. And yeah. it was really dark. So the fact that you're acknowledging it, I'm acknowledging it, this author is acknowledging it is I know George Michael, you know, even though he's passed away, would really appreciate the the honor that that he deserves, totally. you know? Totally, 100%. Um, all right, you mentioned your EP. We're going to link that up for people. I think that's all the questions. Now, do you have anything you want to say in conclusion, Danae Greenfield? Mm-hmm. Um, in conclusion, I am, you know, I I was even nervous a little bit for this i don't know i just get nervous you know i get nervous being on camera i was on here like 20 minutes before you just getting used to being on camera and i've done a bunch of these so yeah but i you know that being said it you know it's so easy you know you're a very easy person to talk to and you know i love having these conversations and i feel like i haven't even you know i needed this almost like i feel like this whole year has been absolutely crazy and it's it's nice to be able to sum up you know some sum up some of what i you know i've been kind of thinking about contemplating realizing like over the course of this year um and it's nice to put it you know into words and to have a conversation about it and yeah beautiful well i i can't thank you enough today and i and your closing comments are perfect because for me this has been a lifeline getting a chance to talk with my friends and also friends of my family and so forth and just you know sometimes go down memory lane sometimes talk about how actually dark it's been for us you know non-essential gig workers whatever you want to call us um yeah so i know just know that everybody appreciates your time especially me and uh yeah so everybody danae greenfield check out her music uh your website is danaegreenfield.com if i remember correct Correct. and anyway everything's will be linked so that you can find her music and her ep and her john legend hundred dollar grammy nominated song (laughs) sorry i just i I gotta joke about that stuff because i've been in that i've been in that position too so i know the feeling 
Um, love you. Have a beautiful day. And we'll talk to you later, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Constant Constance. Tune in every week for new conversations. And if you want even more, check out Andrew's Patreon for more exclusive content and additional conversations. Hosted and produced by Andrew D'Angelo. Edited and mixed by Lucy Little. Original music by Andrew D'Angelo and Maximilian Moore D'Angelo. Intro is Henrietta Weeks. Thanks so much. See you next time. You fucking, yeah, you fucking rocked it. Like she doesn't, she doesn't know she says podcast, right? Like she doesn't even.